Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Where do I begin? To tell the story of how great a love can be The sweet love story that is older than the sea The simple truth Yes, it's Andy Williams from the movie Love Story. And you might say, what's this all about, Jerry? Well, you're going to find out now because we're going to tell a story now about love second time round that's so special. Maureen Whelan-Walsh is on the line. Hello, Maureen. Yes, hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for taking Thank our you. call today. Now, yes. let's put this in context. Uh, your first husband, what was his name? Peter. And how long yes. were you married, Maureen? I was 44 years married. And when did he pass away? In what year? In January 20th, 1999. Okay, and how many children had you? Five. Three boys, Five children. Three girls, two girls, yes. And you you have a very famous boy. His name is Peter. And I want to say hello to him today. Peter Whelan from the Whole Hogs is one of your sons. He's a great guy. He really is. Now, so your your husband passed away in 1999 and uh, you are are widowed. You have remarried subsequently and married a man from the west of Ireland. That's right. That's right. A great guy. How did you meet him? Well, my two lady friends asked me... They said they were going to Italy on a holiday with the travel department. Would they like to come? Oh, and I got very excited because I hadn't been abroad because my late husband didn't like to travel. So that was I was once in Spain in forty four years. So <laughs> I, yes, I went to went on the holiday. It was beautiful. We flew to uh, Tuscany. We that was our first half of five days there, and then five days in Lado di Giacetto. So John was with his brother and wife. He had been widowed about only two years, I think. But his poor wife had had Alzheimer's before that. So we just had the bus. was always full of partners and couples. So John and I were like the odd couple, if you like, because we were both one of three. And my two friends always sat together. So when I'd sit down with John, going out, John would be, I have no other seat, but he had to sit beside me. <laughs> no, you know, uh, there were, we might be two hours on a, on a trip going by places, but he's a nice, easy to get on with. Yeah. So it was, that's how, well, that holiday was 10 days. And at the end of it, the whole group got on very well and exchanged addresses and things like that and phone numbers. But then we went home. I went back to, I was living in Rattos that time 
and John went back to Galway. I didn't ring him and he didn't ring me because, you know, kind of you didn't like to be pushy there or whatever. And at Christmas, it was October 06, so December he sent me a Christmas card. And then I sent him one back. <laughs> and then he got courage and he rang me in the January and uh, asked, invited me down to, and he showed me around Galway. And that's how it started, you know. So he, yeah. I went down and then he'd come up to Retos and we were up and down. And then on 07, we went on another holiday. He asked me, would we go to the East Coast of America with the same company? And um, that was um, 12 months later, of course. But he asked me to marry him and I didn't know what to say because I didn't know how I was going to tell my family. (laughs) 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 You know? I mean, like I talk about the, the daughter asking the, the father, but I mean, I was wary of the five of them and how they'd feel. But anyway, so we, um, when I came home, I, my brother was in Boston, I mean, the priest there, and we visited him. And I said to him, you know, this other friend his, who said, oh, oh, father, they got the ring today. And I said to him, and I said to my brother, oh, don't ring home. I want to tell them all individually, you know. <laughs> I didn't want them hearing like that. But anyway, I think Peter, but Peter, of all of them, there was a, my daughter said to Peter, what do you think of ma'am? And Peter said, um, well, John's a very nice man now, but uh, I don't know now. You're different if they're going to get married. Like, he didn't know. So. <laughs> but when I called up to see him anyway, and uh, I told, and then he rang me, and I was on the way home, and he said, Mom, Susan and I were just talking, and they were delighted. We're delighted for you, he said, you know. Okay, so, so you, got, you got the imprimatur. They were all delighted for you. Yes. And will you yes. just go back to that holiday in the States. Were you, were you just on your own on the holiday, or were you in a group again? Oh, we were with a group again. We okay. were with a group, And, yes. and, and the, the old devil, he, he kept it under the under the cover, so he did, and then he just sprung it on you. Did you say yes to him straight away? Well, we had been, well, yeah, okay, kind of, yeah, well, I kind of hesitated, but no, I, well, I... <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> I found you said yes. You know, I thought about it. I mean, he got the ring. He bought, the, you know, this ring, and, yes. and he was looking at the rings, and I, and I was just looking at. I would look at things like that anyway. You know, uh, going by, you were going around the the shops, and then um, I said, "That's an, I'm looking at this little one. You know, looking at it." And he said, "Picked up a bigger one." And he insisted on getting the big one, which is lovely, you know. <laughs> and when did you get married then? You got engaged yeah, in 07. Yes, we got married in the, on the 9th of May, 08. And do you celebrate the anniversary? That anniversary is coming up now very soon. Do you it celebrate is, the anniversary? And that's, we celebrate on the 9th of every month. Now, just a little. We might wait for me or have a drink of wine. We will be 144th anniversary on the 9th of May. <laughs> So, yeah, I've because never heard we're this. at our age, we wouldn't be having, you know, any of your 50s and 25ths and all that. Yes, yeah. so you, you don't have an annual anniversary, you have a monthly anniversary. So we it's have a monthly anniversary, that's right. that's right. 144 months. It must be the longest yeah. marriage in history, to be honest with you. And, <laughs> that should be in the Guinness book, shouldn't it? You should, you should. And, and just when you got married, yeah. what age were both of you when you got married? Well, John was 78. And I was 75. Right. Yes. And uh, what's love like second time round? Well, we're very happy. I'll let you speak to John if you want to in a minute. Yes, you know, I'm going to talk we, to him in a minute. Yeah, yes, we're very, very happy, thank God. And we've had a, you know, a great 
companionship and we have a nice life for the last we're 12 years married now and John was in Galway you see for the first two years I used to go up and down up and down but yeah. I thought maybe that we, when we got married we were going to live in Galway because John loves to golf and he was a member down there and uh, when it's, we fell in love with Trim because we came out to see the Nicebrook and the golf course on one occasion and then these apartments were just put up for sale at the time and we fell in love with them and that's how we ended up in Trim. And you're living on a golf course as well. Maureen, right, congratulations. Right beside it, yes, beautiful. Oh, you're, you're right beside it. I know it well. It is lovely there. You know, yes, it's, lov- I, it's lovely to yes. talk to you. Put put them on to be there, will you, Seth? Yes, will I, you put will. Them on there? I really Thanks a million. Much. Thanks. That's Jerry. Oh, yes. Hello, Hello, John. It's lovely to talk today. I'll tell you one thing. Oh, you're the old sly fox. Oh, I wouldn't think so. (laughs) You can't beat the boys from the west of Ireland, I'll tell you all. They know what it's all about. When you got to move, you got to move. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's just but, it, boy. That's it, boy. Tell me this: got, what was what was your situation? Had you children? Well, I had uh, two daughters. Right. And one is living in Switzerland, and the other girl is, is living in in England. She was actually born in London. Mm. So you yeah. you had your family as well. Maureen had her family, and you're all one big happy family now. But here, tell me this. You waited a little bit, you know, when you sat beside each other in the bus in Italy. You didn't exactly yeah. rush in at that stage. You considered oh, your no. options. Oh, no, but I kept my eye on her. And <laughs> 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 one, one of her lady friends, she was watching me, you know. She was very protective of Maureen. <laughs> and she she sort of get between us. <laughs> It was it was a two way thing, so it was. But listen, he, he, here's the thing I want to tell listeners: you have a little birthday coming up this weekend. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> what what age are you? Uh, Ninety today. Ninety today. He is John. Yeah. You're some man for one man, and you're playing away. You you love your golf. I do. I do. I love it. At, uh, we're living at Knightsbrook, you know. Nice yeah. hotel, lovely golf course. And I remember there. Mm. And I was looking forward to playing on my birthday, but the way things are now, <laughs> I don't know. I can hope. I, I, the only thing I can hope for is now that I play before, before I'm 91. <laughs> ah, you will. You will, John. I promise you will. I think golf is yeah. one of the first things that's actually going to be opened up when the government uh, released the, the restrictions yeah. a little bit. Please, God, that'll be the case. How many times do you play once a week? Are you a regular golfer? Well, uh, oh, no, I play with the seniors. Yeah. And uh, they play every Thursday. Right. A group uh, can go up to 40 or 45 members, you know. Yes. So you we play every Thursday. Uh, oh yes, yes. Every Thursday it starts at. Uh, we get together at half past eight, and we start playing as soon after that as we can. Brilliant, you brilliant, know. brilliant. Hey, listen. There's somebody really thinking of you. I have. I'm looking here at your birthday cake. It's magnificent. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? It's absolutely brilliant. It's just the dream birthday cake for any golfer, but especially for you. And I want to say McCluskey's Bakery and Rada, Patrick and Daphne and all the crew, they've made a great job of it. Yeah, fantastic. 
It's fantastic. Well, you'll have you, you mightn't be able to hit a golf ball, but you'll have a piece of cake, will you, tomorrow? Or today? Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> you will indeed. Yeah. You will indeed. And no, I believe you're you're going to be in touch with your family by uh, the Zoom. You're zooming people, and you're going to connect with all the family for a, for a get together. That's right. Yeah. There'll be. I, I have a brother in Canada. They'll be getting in touch, and I have a sister in 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 Denmark. And my own family in England and Switzerland as well. And a sister in Munich. Oh, and a sister in Munich as well. We scattered John. all over the world. All over the world. John, uh, happiest, happiest of happy birthdays to you. Put me back onto your good wife there for a second. I will indeed, yeah. Happy birthday, John. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank, not at all. You're welcome. Maureen, I just want yeah. to say goodbye to you before we finish yeah. up the chat. It's been lovely talking to you today. You. What a much. story this is. And yes. you're, you've really taken to technology, I believe, like a duck to water. And you'll be <laughs> connected. Working at it, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, you're, you're doing yeah, yeah you're, doing a, you're doing a brilliant job. Maureen, many happy months and years to please, both of you. And, and thank, thank you for joining me on the show. Take care. Thank you very much. God bless. I know. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Take care. What lovely people they are. Aren't they just marvellous? Just showed you. Second chance. Love. Oh, deeper love than ever. We have the youngest Garda in Ireland on the line. This is a late lunch exclusive. Taylor Freel. Hello. Hi. Taylor, you are a Garda. Yeah. And you have a uniform. Yes. And what else have you? Have you anything else that the Gardaí have? Uh, a police motorbike and uh, a, a radio. Wow. So the uniform, the bike and the radio. And, and you're working every day at the minute? Yeah. Tell us what you do when you get up in the morning. Do you have your brekkie and then get into uniform? Yes. And what do you do? What do you do? Tell us what happens. So there's cars going out and in of my estate and if like I pull them over and if they're going in the estate I say where were you and like they have to be going essential travel and when I pull them over if they're coming out of the estate I say where are you going and if they're coming in of the, into the estate I say where were you with the essential travel you are fantastic. So you're making sure that people do what Leo Varadkar told us all to do, the Taoiseach? Yes. Good man yourself. And are people being good, Taylor? Are they are they doing what they should be doing? Uh, some are a bit like... Some are good and some are a little bit like... Like, a bit like saying like they're getting ice cream. And do you think they're trying to fool you? Yes. Oh, I see. You're a real detective. Do you see the way you cop that on? Some of them are just telling you little porkies to try and make that little extra journey. You are one good policeman. And most people, they stop for you and they talk to you. They're, they're very respectful. Yes. Isn't that great? Oh, my word. And tell me this. When you get bigger, do you want to become a full-fledged Garda? Yes. And is there any area of the Garda you'd like to work in? Um, the dog unit or the armed guard. 
one or the other. I see. And where does this come from? Who encouraged you or did you just do this by yourself or is there some connection with the guardian in your family? Well, my granddad used to be a guard and he showed me like his badges and he told us a few stories about being in the guards. And as well, my um, dad's friend, Garda Shane Hayes in Limerick for my birthday two years ago. And um, he came up and showed us all his gear and his hat and everything. And he gave us a few badges. Wow. And your your dad is a big influence on you and his friend, as you said, Shane there. So all that is coming to you now, and this is why you want to be a Garda. What was your granddad's name? He was a well-known Garda, wasn't he, over there? Huey Freel. Huey Freel. People, I'm sure, remember him today. He's a famous Garda, and you're his grandson, and you're determined to follow in his footsteps. So, look, are you in uniform talking to me now, or are you finished work for the day? Uh, I'm in uniform now. I just came in from doing checkpoints there. Well, I am honoured that you left your duties to come and talk to me on late lunch this afternoon. Now, I hope there's no people taking the opportunity of being bold when you're not on patrol, but I'm sure I'm not going to delay you too much longer. You're going to be able to get back out there. Is your daddy beside you? Yeah, I'm here, so I am, yeah. Ah, <laughs> Darren, how are you? You That's have bad. one great little man there. Yeah, no, he's absolutely brilliant, I so he is. So, yeah... He's out there walking all the hours at the minute, so he is stopping everyone going in and out. It is one wonderful story. It really is. He's so tuned in and committed, isn't he? Oh, he's so into it. Like, you know, he just, he talked to it like a duck to water. He just, he loves it, so he does. And he loves the interaction of the people and the whole lot, you know, and he's just getting on great. Out. Well, you see, it's in, it's in the DNA from the granddad, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, you know. How did you miss out? I just went down a different line, you know the way? Like, I think there was enough <laughs> one free regard in the local area. Well, you'll be known as the skip generation when this fella takes out his stripes in Templemore down the road. Oh, let him take the baton now and let him run with it, you know? <laughs> he will, he will. And look, at even at eight years of age, it looks like it is going to be the case that this is what he wants to do. Yeah, absolutely. He really is into it, like so. We'll see how he progresses with it, you know, but he seems to love it at the minute, anyway. Oh, my, oh, my. He's a terrific lad. He he really is. And, you know, he's well uh, well up to what needs to be done. And obviously, uh, y- your neighbours and people around the area know of him and, and they, they talk to him and interact with him as well. They're very good. Yeah, very good. The, the, where we live here in Oakley, the neighbours are absolutely fantastic and they really they oblige him and everything. So, like... They're all listening here and out today and they're all really excited about the whole lot of it, you know. It's a great story. So what's the name? You're in Navin again. What's the name of the area? Oakley. Uh, Oakley, yeah, I see it. Yeah, Oakley Estate there in Navin. It's all happening in there. So, folks, I'm just telling you, listen today, if you have any recourse to go to Oakley, there's a definite guard of presence there every day in the form of Taylor Freel. And he'll be watching out for you. He will. He won't miss a trick. I know it. I know it. Anyway, he's a great little guy, and you are too. Thank you so much and, for taking our yeah, call. And I just want to say a couple of thank yous to he had a couple of visitors here over the last week or so from the local guard station there, and uh, he just like to say thanks to them, especially. Put them on. Take, take a time with her there. 
Go and on. I I'd like to thank Garda Frank Gully, Garda Fiona Care, and um, Garda Connor Byrne, and Garda Shane Hayes, and Sergeant Dean Kern. Well, can I say to you, Garda Taylor Freel, thank you so much from all of us for your wonderful work. You're welcome. <laughs> Good man yourself. Listen, it's lovely to talk to you uh, this afternoon, both of you. Wish you well. Thanks for taking our call on Late Lunch. You're wonderful people, Taylor and Darren Freel. Thanks a million, folks. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 Bye, Taylor. Bye. Isn't that just lovely? Would that not just lift your heart and your spirits this afternoon? It has mine. It's made my day. Joining me on the line is Irish Times Washington correspondent, Suzanne Lynch. Hello, Suzanne. Hello, Jerry. Thank you for joining me again on the show. I really do appreciate it. Look, this man, you're closer to him than anybody and I watch him and I wonder, is he really all over the shop or is he in command (laughs) as he believes himself? Well, I mean, one of the features of this coronavirus over the last few weeks is that, ironically, it's made Donald Trump actually give press conferences because when I arrived here first, there were daily White House press briefings here. And then Donald Trump, after about a year, ended those briefings. So now, in an ironic way, the coronavirus has made him actually come out to the podium every day and address the public, address journalists and, you know, say what's going on. In fact, what's happened, though, is that these briefings now have become kind of a political, almost like a substitute for the political, the campaign rallies that he's not allowed to have now because of the coronavirus. So it's been all about Donald Trump. He has talked about what he has achieved. And even though every day the White House says this is going to be an update on the coronavirus situation, a lot of the time they're actually lacking information about what is happening with coronavirus and they become a kind of a a positive story about Donald Trump. Um, So, look, a lot of viewers here, a lot of the members of the public, these coronavirus White House briefings are taking place around 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening here in America. And it's primetime TV. Donald Trump knows about the power of TV. He was obviously a reality TV star himself. He's used to communicate with the public. What's happening now is that a lot of the networks here, CNN and MSNBC, are actually cutting away from these White House press briefings because they feel this is all about Donald Trump and we're not actually getting information. So I think he's getting a lot of criticism even here about how he's handling that side of things. So he claims that he acted swiftly. He stopped flights from China. He keeps saying this. He's questioning now the origins of the virus in China. No money for the World Health Organization will be open for Easter. The US plainly wasn't. And he's tweeting in asking people in certain states to protest so as they open up things again. You know, flying in the face of the governors. Yeah, and this is the, this is the tension that's been happening here the last few weeks. So the way the U.S. political system works is that you've got a kind of conflict between the federal government that Donald Trump is the president of and then individual states. So like unlike somewhere like Ireland, it would be like all the counties having a lot of power in Ireland. In America, the states actually have a lot of power. Each state can really control what happens in terms of health care, in terms of education. And this is what's happening here in America. So each governor is kind of responsible for their own state. But Donald Trump, like a lot of his attitude to a lot of things, he's flip-flopped on this. He started off last week saying he has ultimate authority to reopen the country. Um, But then a lot of legal scholars here were saying, hang on, you don't actually. That's the power of the governors. 
But now he's done a 360-degree turn on this, and now he's saying, actually, it's up to the governors now to decide when to reopen. And in a sense, you could read that as quite a clever move by Donald Trump, because what he's saying is he's putting the responsibility on to governors, so that if this all ends badly, he can say, well, it wasn't me, it was the governors. But as you see there, what happened late last week is that he did start getting involved in Twitter and started saying, liberate Michigan, liberate Minnesota, etc., and that was a reference to certain states where there are now protests happening. And they're small protests. They're maybe getting a bit, you know, over-covered, I suppose, in the media because there are only a couple of hundred in some cases, uh, in some of the states, a couple of thousand people, but they're protesting in these states because they feel, these people feel that there are too many restrictions, that enough is enough, we need to reopen the economy. And Donald Trump, in those, those tweets, after saying it's nothing to do with me and it's up to governors, is now trying to go, it's egging those protesters on, if you like, and is getting back involved with the situation in different states. So look, that's causing a lot of tension because you've got, the country is very split on this, like everything in, in the Trump administration. Half the country feels, or more than half really, you know, they're concerned about reopening the economy too soon, but you've got a sizable minority of people, and this is echoed on Fox News and other TV channels that are sympathetic to Trump, they're arguing no, you know, the cure can't be worse than the illness, etc. And we do need to look at reopening the economy. I was thinking about that old fable, the king has no clothes when I watched him claiming to be the supreme power. Just listen to this for a second. Here is Trump. You probably heard this yourself live, possibly. This is him from last evening. Let's have a listen. Many Americans are saying the exact same thing about you, that you should have warned them the virus was spreading like wildfire through the month of February, instead of holding rallies with thousands of people. Why did you wait so long who you to with? warn who, them? Who you with? And why did you yeah. uh, not have social distancing until March 16th? Who are you with? I'm Weijia Jang with CBS News. So, if you look at what I did in terms of cutting off or banning China from coming in. Chinese nationals. But by the way, not Americans who are also nice coming from easy. China. Nice and easy, just relax. We cut it off. People were amazed. These gentlemen, everybody was amazed that I did it. We were very early. Oh, I'm I'm the president. And you know what I just did? And you know what I just... And by the way, when you issued the ban, the virus was already here. Okay, and you know how many people, when I issued the ban, how many cases of virus were in the United States when I issued the ban? Do you know the number? There was... No, no, how many cases... Remember I said one person. How many cases were here when I issued the ban? Did you know no, no, no. You have to do your research. How many? P- I did my research. On the 23rd of March, you said you knew this was going to be a pandemic. Can I tell you what? Well I did know it. I did know it. All I have to do is look. So you knew Let, all, anybody knew it. Just Are you ready? How many cases were in the United States when I did my ban? How many people had died in the United States? So do you acknowledge that you didn't think Keep your voice down, please. Spread? Keep your voice down. Did you not How many? How many? How many cases were in the United States? I did a ban where I'm closing up the entire country. How many people died? And that's a fair point. How many people died in the United States? And yet I closed up the country and I believe there were no deaths, zero deaths at the time I closed up the country. Nobody was there. And you should say thank you very much for good judgment. Go ahead, please. My oh my, Suzanne, when you listen to him there. I, I, I'll tell you one thing, that lady is bald. Yeah, well, she is a, she's from CBS and that's from the same channel um, where another reporter last week got into an altercation with Donald Trump. So you can see there him asking her 
uh, where she's from, what outlet yeah. she's with. And just to, to, to note, they've really restricted who can go in now into these press briefings. There's only about 15 people allowed in. Um, they're social distancing inside the press room. Um, but this, you know, Donald Trump likes a scapegoat. He, you know, throughout his presidency, he's been quick to blame others. So for this, he has started off by play, blaming China. Um, now he's blaming the media. He's blamed the governors, you know. So it's this sense of him not taking responsibility. Now, to play devil's advocate, he did have a small point. This is the thing with Trump. Sometimes he's a grain of truth in the sense that he did ban these flights from China quite early. And that was criticised by WHO and other organisations. Now, what the reporter there was was pointing out rightly as well, that this was only for Chinese nationals coming into America. So you had lots of Americans coming into America from China. So it wasn't really a full ban. Um, but he was, you know, early enough with that move. People criticised him, but then other countries kind of followed through. But the problem with Trump, of course, is that he is harping on about that point constantly. In every single press conference here, every day he goes on about his decision to ban flights from China. Um, even though, as she was trying to point out there, after he did that, there were weeks on end here that nothing was done in America to prepare for this. And that actually there's reporting now suggesting America was actually exporting some of the PPE, the equipment and the masks to China at that time, when it should have been getting its own house in order with the expectation that this virus could spread. And the other thing, Suzanne, he doesn't take into account, but there's no point in pointing it out to him, the incubation period for this, you know, the time frame, people yeah. may have had it, they didn't show symptoms, all that type of thing. Look, time is going to beat us in a couple of minutes. I want to ask you two uh, critical questions here. Mm-hmm. Honestly, what is the situation on the ground? Is it such a large country and diverse states, east to west, etc., that it's different in different places? We hear a lot about New York, but is it really yeah. worse than we're hearing? Yeah, that, that, that's the key issue. It is different compared to where you are in the United States. So where I am here in Washington, D.C., so it's about, you know, a four-hour drive south of New York City. So it's very, very strict, Jerry. I mean, there's a lot of restrictions here. Everything is closed. Some restaurants are open for what they call curbside delivery here uh, for takeaway. I was out on a walk this morning, um, and there were very few people around. There were some police, actually, um, had made street closures and that kind of thing. So it's pretty much, from what I'm hearing from Ireland, very similar. Um, not quite as restrictive in terms of there's no kind of two-kilometer radius, uh, you know, obligation or anything. But look, it, it, it's pretty strict. Um, so that's, it, it's very similar. But I'm hearing from other people that around the country, in more rural states, it's very different. And mm. those governors have chosen to be a bit more lax about the restrictions. Yeah, so it depends on where you are, you're saying. It's Mm. worse in some areas than others, and that's naturally uh, the case with the size of the place. Here's the $54 million question. You mentioned he's using these press conferences as a platform. The election is scheduled for November. Biden will be the opponent now. Mm. What's your feelings? Well, this is it's very interesting that this is happening in election year, so it's only a bit over six months until the American election happens. So what's happened is that the primary contest is still ongoing, but that has really been put on hold. There, even though Joe Biden now is going to be the candidate for the Democrats, there were a lot of um, primary elections scheduled for different states, including New York, New Jersey, actually, on the 28th of April. All of those have been put on hold. And now the big question, there's actually questions now about how this is going to work practically. If it gets to November and there's still restrictions, you know, will they do more postal voting? That's a system that they do use in a lot of states here. Um, so there's going to be a big debate around that. Now, Joe Biden has been pretty much, uh, well, he's had no choice, really. His, his campaign events have been cancelled. 
he has been holed up in his home in Delaware, which is near here. It's between Washington and New York, a small state just north of here. Um, he got a big boost last week, though, when Barack Obama endorsed him. Also, Bernie Sanders' rival endorsed him. So there's a lot of energy behind Joe Biden's campaign. But the problem for him, I think, is that he's not going to be able to get out there and fundraise. And in American politics, as you know, money talks. And the Trump campaign have been raising millions over the last few years. So they're going to be coming to this battle, if you like, with a huge treasure trove of funding. And they're going to be, you know, really pushing it in terms of the ads. And also Joe Biden is very behind when it comes to online discussions, online ads, online fundraising, etc. Again, Trump is ahead of that. So I think... It's going to kind of damage Joe Biden being out of the public eye for the next few months. Maybe those are strategy. You know, why, why take from Trump when he's doing a good job, I suppose, of exposing his weaknesses himself every day when he gets up and speaks to the White House? So, you know, maybe there's a strategy yeah. in this that Joe Biden is laying low and we might see him uh, being a bit more public in a few months' time. Great stuff, Suzanne. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And do read Suzanne every day in the Irish Times. I love her writing. Thanks for taking our call again. Really do appreciate Thanks it. Thanks very much, Jerry. Stay safe. Thanks. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Spring has sprung and though it's early in the year, do you know that there's food for free in our hedgerows? I can't believe I'm talking to my next guest. I've admired him from afar for years on television as he had to endure that Hugh Fernley waiting stall. I'm delighted to say a big hello this afternoon to the most famous forager in the world, John Wright. Hello, John. Well, what a, what a lovely introduction, the most famous in the world. Hello, Jerry. <laughs> How are you, John? I'll tell you one thing. I have the smile of a smile on my face. You won't believe it that I'm chatting to you today. And I want to tell my listeners what really prompted this. I, I was reading an article a couple of weeks back that you had in one of the uh, newspapers, and you were talking about young nettles at this time of the year. Now, there's a the thing, John. My father years ago used boil nettles and drink the water from the nettles. But if you said that to somebody today, John, they'd probably fall off the chair. But tell us about nettles and their goodness. Well, I think drinking nettle juice may well come back into fashion. People are quite interested in this sort of thing. Now, I guess uh, people started to feel a little bit of food insecurity and it sort of uh, increased uh, an already growing uh, interest in the, in the whole business. But nettles themselves, they really are at their best now. They're still succulent. In another few weeks, they'll start to turn, you'll get the flowers forming and they're not really worth eating then. Uh, but now you can just go along and you can just pick the tips off the, uh, you know, the top few inches off uh, because that means you'd have to peel, peel, uh, pull the, uh, the leaves off. You can eat the stem as well and just cook it how you will. Um, I, can't, I can't say I'm very keen on uh, nettle juice. Uh, like your father, like your father, who uh, I'm sure did very well on it. But uh, you can make a, you can make. I mean, the famous thing is is nettle soup, and uh, it can be horrible if you get it wrong. If you just boil up some nettles and hope for the best, you and blitz it. It's not it's not going to be very nice. I always, I did try it once. I did. In fact, the first time I tried it, it, was, it tasted of boiled army blankets. Frankly, uh, so don't do that. Make sure you use a good stock. Uh, that's the most important thing. And also give it some thickness with uh, a, a, a potato. I mean, there's the off the oil. You can go fancy, you can use celeriac or maybe even a parsnip. And it's, it, it's superb. And uh, something I did really quite recently, and it looks absolutely beautiful when you make it. I and mean, it sounds like a lot of trouble. I mean, people do make pasta. You don't need a pasta machine. You just roll it out again and again. You make your dough and then you roll it out. Uh, uh, but you, um, what you do when you make it, you make it with uh, with any any flour. Uh, you use egg, and uh, and I boil up the nettles and uh, blanch them a bit to keep the colour. Uh, drain them, 
sorry, it's taking such a long time. Uh, squeeze, squeeze them dry, then get a, a tea towel, wrap it around it and squeeze it until no more water will come out. And then you chop it. It takes quite a while with a really sharp knife. Chop it for about five or sometimes ten minutes until you actually get a powder, a uh, slightly sticky powder. And you mix it in with your pasta flour and make your, make your pasta dough and roll it out and you have a, a pasta verde. And it looks magnificent. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it really does work. And my goodness, it's going to do your hedge cred the world of good if you serve that to guests, if you're allowed guests, that is. Oh, what kudos you'd get for that one, John. I can just picture it as you describe it there. So the thing is with the soup, the good stock, as you say, plenty of salt and pepper to season it and mix it in with a potato or a parsley, and you definitely have the full benefit of it. I saw somebody actually making a nettle pesto. Oh, yeah, that works really nicely. You mix it in with a risotto. You don't even have to use rice in the risotto. Of course, I suppose you can't really call it a risotto anymore. At River Cottage, I've um, got some wonderful chefs that's down in Devon, uh, and um, they're very imaginative, and they, they make a lovely uh, sort of pesto with it, and, uh, and just, just stir it in with um, uh, pearl barley or one of those other fancy uh, grains that you have. Yeah, it really, it really looks business. So there is plenty of uses for the nettles. Pick them, of course, with gloves. Don't get stung. And when you process them, there won't be a sting in them. Here's the thing, John. I'm working from home like a lot of people at the moment. And I'm looking out at my lawn here. I have to go out this evening. Uh, the dandelions are just sitting up, smiling at the sun. Now, talk to me for a moment about dandelion wine. Is it the yellow, the, the lovely deep orange yellowy tops you need to make it? Yes. And aren't they beautiful, Joey? Don't you think dandelions oh, are an uh, underappreciated plant? If it smelled like roses, we'd have dandelion shows, wouldn't we? But, uh, but, but uh, as well as looking absolutely gorgeous, they, um, they are useful. You can make a wine out of it. I'm not desperately keen on country wines. Oh, I've written a book about them. <laughs> um, but so, you know, so most of them are horrible. Some of them are really good. Dandelion is the... A, a very good one. I wouldn't say it was the best. You know, we're going to go for elderberry wine or blackberry wine for the best. Yeah. Uh, but as, as a country wine, it, it is good. You get a sort of barley sugar flavour from it. And you do need the petals. Uh, and uh, you, you can just... Um, well, you need to go out in the morning, of course, because they go to sleep later on in the day. So you go, And you have to do them that day because they, they don't like opening close up and it's very difficult and uh, you just take a pair of scissors to them uh, and snip off all the, all the petals um, unfortunately you need a lot you need a gallon of uh, flower heads for one gallon of wine but quite frankly they are not not an endangered species as you'll probably no. know by looking out of your what a disgrace yes. you have so many dandelions in your lawn I'm appalled by this Jerry <laughs> Well, you see, I have been a beekeeper myself in the past, and I understand the benefit of the dandelion to the native bees, as you know, at this time of the year as well. That's why I'm reluctant to actually, but I will go at them, John. It will be, well, it won't be Wimbledon-esque, but it'll be a little better when I get when I, when I I do get down under the ground and nip them out. But here's the thing, because I've been out in the fields here near where I live as well, and the gorse is beautiful, the smell of the coconut, and it's in full bloom as well. That's another little petal, isn't it, as well, that can make a nice wine? Yeah, no, 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 that won't make a nice wine. I tried that, and it tastes—it does taste of well, pea. I mean, when I say pea, I mean <laughs> pea. Maybe touched by the other one as well, but uh, uh, because it is actually the pea family, the coconut flavour doesn't really. Uh, coconut flavour doesn't really translate into the wine, and uh, and I did. I made I made a gallon a few years ago and gave some to a, a, a friend of mine who's a bit of a wine connoisseur. She uh, basically just drinks a lot, but uh, she said it was the worst wine she'd ever drunk in her life. Um, 
but uh, actually we tried i tried one of about a year later because i was going to chuck it all down now oh, by the way whenever you make a wine um don't judge it by on first appearances if the first bottle tastes horrible then just stick them in a cupboard for a year and then, and then things may come out better and it certainly happened this time i tell you something you can do with the gorse well a couple of things you can do when you when you can mix them with vodka and you get this lovely golden um sort of syrupy uh, liqueur out of it and it really does it looks like the sun rising just beautiful um and the other thing um there's another one of the things that the, the the guys at river cottage did and you don't really get any food value from it and, uh, and you don't really get any flavor but they actually they mixed it in with a bread dough so that when you slice the bread you had these golden specks in it it was just glorious and it mm. sort of shows you're really trying and this is a lovely oh, thing to do Beautiful, beautiful. I've watched, I remember the programme in particular when you were going with Hugh, trying to find the burdock and digging down to try and get the burdock roots and then combining it with the dandelion and, and making the brew from it. You're very adventurous, let me say. There's nothing uh, a bridge too far for, for you. Is that fair to say? Well, you need to know where the, where the bridge turns into a pier and you can't walk any further in. <laughs> Because uh, you, you do need to know what you're doing, um, and I've been doing this for years. I, I always say, say to people, that if you want to learn foraging, always go out with um, some old, uh, elderly gentleman or lady like myself who stood the test of time. Don't go out with these young foragers. They haven't. Uh, in the I've, I've never uh, poisoned, poisoned myself. But yes, I, I am adventurous, um, and I do, I do have this habit of uh, tasting just about everything I see because I know what the poisonous ones are, so I know what to avoid. I know what family a, a, a plant will be in, so I, I know there's no poisonous um, species of um, uh, in the rose family, for example. I bet, I bet someone will think of one. Let me know. <laughs> yes, if anybody knows, <laughs> let us know is right. What about uh, so, uh, the, the, the mushroom season, which is a little bit away uh, at this stage, but since you've come through how many years of mushroom foraging and you're still talking to me today and working with you and oh, writing books, etc.? Fifty-four years, I suppose. So, uh, wow. yeah, I never had as much of a stomach. I'm very proud of. It's, it's not because I'm particularly clever. I just a bit, a bit patient, and I think so highly of myself, Jerry. And it's not so much the, you know, the pain and the death. It's the embarrassment of me poisoning myself with mushrooms. They just don't ever do it. Um, you, but you do need to be so careful. I mean, we don't lose many people in England. I think we've had two deaths in the last ten years, but that is too too many, um, mm. and it. So it's a very nasty uh, thing indeed. Oh, yeah. You do need to be, you really do need to, to to know your stuff, and you don't have the clear clues that you have with the flowering plants, where you've got ridiculously, you know, enormous differences in the flower shape and the leaf shape. With mushrooms, you've got a cap and a stem, and some gills or some tubes, and everything else is down to the detail. And you need to know all those all those details. But it's not actually all that hard. I always tell people to learn. Uh, learn three this year, learn three next year, and four the year after that, and you've got ten. You'll know more than anybody else you know. Just take it easy. There are, um, um, there are 20, I've listed in a book, uh, 20 species which are e uh, easily obtainable, taste nice, and um, uh, are completely safe uh, and common. So just start, just start at the top of that list and work your way down. Absolutely. And get those, get this man's books. They're brilliant. He won't uh, put you wrong. And that's a real good suggestion ahead of mushroom season to come later in the year. But one last thing before we finish, and they'll be on the, in the thousands on our hedgerows here shortly. The elderflower, John, come on. Oh, what a beaute. What a beaute. 
Oh, do you know, I, I actually, they start to appear um, often, sometimes in April, but nearly always by May. Um, uh, but, but I always think the 1st of June is Elderflower Day, and I will actually ignore elderflowers in the hedgerow until the 1st of June. And then I'll go out and I'll grab one, and I'll just take my first sniff of, uh, the fir- my first sniff of elderflower, my first sniff of summer for that year, and it just brings back all the memories of summer's past. It's a, it's a lovely thing, of course. Um, quite heady. Uh, not doesn't have a sort of perfumed quality of rose petals, but it is a very kind of evocative uh, aroma. It makes a fabulous sparkling wine, uh, elder, elderflower champagne. Um, just be careful of the exploding bottles. Um, that's one danger there. I've got a, a, an amazing recipe, and it's one of my proudest achievements. I invented this. I don't think anybody else tried it before. I did one of these complex Google searches to make sure. And that's elderflower delight. Now, if you like Turkish delight, make it with elderflowers and lemon. Honestly, it is the best thing you could have. Oh, my word. Well, there's a challenge for listeners today. We've given you real food for thought this afternoon, and it's all free in your hedgerows coming your way. Even though you can only wander two kilometres, there's plenty of it about. John Wright is the name. Check out his books, order them online, get them, put them into practice. It's been my pleasure. Lovely to talk to you, John, today. Thank you, Jerry. Take care of yourself. That's uh, the brilliant John right there. Well known as uh, the, he is, he is the foremost forager that I know or have come across in my lifetime in the media, through television, reading or whatever, and a right-hand man of the great Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. Cullen Auto Parts in Dundalk are celebrating their 20th birthday at this time. And joining me on the line is the man who began it all in the millennium year, Barry Cullen. Hello, Barry. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm good. Thanks for joining me on the show. Congratulations on your birthday. Is it true? Did you open on the 1st of April back in the millennium year? I did, yeah. April the 4th. Uh, April Fool's Day. <laughs> Why, Barry? Why the 1st of April? Come on. Yeah, now you have. Like, I'm trying to still figure that out 20 years later, Jerry. But look, um, I suppose then I didn't think about it as much as I do now. But uh, yeah, we give it a shot on uh, on April Fool's. At least if I failed there. Uh, People mightn't have, uh, mightn't have thought as bad of it uh, <laughs> as they might now, you know, 20 years later. Well, no failure. You've gone from strength to strength. And listen, I love this uh, thought that you've had around this 20th birthday celebration. What a time it's happening at. But you're giving back to the community. Tell Late Lunch listeners what you're doing, Barry. Well, I suppose... <clears throat> Jerry, I was, uh, I was going to celebrate 20 years, as you've already uh, alluded to, and um, I was going to have uh, promotional stuff for the month of April, but um, I realised in the, in the current climate uh, and, and what's happening in our world today, I decided maybe it would be better uh, spending the money through charity rather than promoting my business for the 20th year uh, in business. So. I was lying in bed uh, on April Thursday. I, I decided that maybe, you know, I could get my daughter Grace, who's doing a master's at the moment in, in, in business and digital marketing and DKIT. And my son's doing a business degree in DKIT also to give them a little challenge as to how we could give uh, maybe 20,000 for 20 years in business away over the month of April to... Uh, to maybe all the charities uh, and that's suffering at the moment uh, due to the lack of people and movement within our country. Thanks it's brilliant. 
It's brilliant, may I say it, yeah, and it's a great concept. €20,000 for 20 years from Cullen Auto Parts. And you've broken this down to 5,000 and then 10, 1,000. So a lot of people are going to benefit from this. So, Barry, how are you going to distribute this or how are you going to make the call on who gets it? Explain the mechanic. Yeah, well, uh, we came up first and, and just came up with an idea that maybe, uh, you know, we've, we've got a... I need to maybe promote my business a little more, bit more uh, from a digital point of view, and to come up with an idea maybe that um, if we, if people like and and our page and and tag three friends and share it uh, and name a chosen party that um, the person that that uh, is drawn out each week, that we would give them um, one hundred euros shop local voucher for themselves, and their chosen charity would either receive uh, a one thousand. Pound check, uh, and in two separate instances, we have two charities that will receive um, a five thousand pound check. Wonderful, and it's simple to do, folks. I want to just tell you again: this is what you do. You go in to the Cullen Auto Parts page. You like the page. You tag three friends, and you share the post, and you this is the important thing, nominate your charity and you're in there then. Barry and the crew will have a look at it and you're in with a chance yourself of that 100 shop local voucher and 1,000 or 5,000 for your charity. I'm sure you, you, you're you snowed under, are you, with people entering? Yeah, I suppose to be honest with you, Jerry, uh, it's obviously a local charity. Uh, I, I must just uh, stress that it's local charities yes. or our own area because obviously my business and the support of the local community has mm. gone me where I am today, you know. But uh, I'm not just sure when it started off originally where people might have took it maybe or look at it as probably an April Fool's form of trying to advertise your company by giving 20,000 euros away in under such uh, testing circumstances for all businesses um, in, the, in the community. But um, look, um, you know, I've sort of saved this money up over a period of time. I, I wanted to do something fantastic for 20 years of business. And, um, you know, to, to me, I think, uh, you know, it's important to, to be able to share uh, the benefits I've had uh, in colour and other parts and, and share it out to those that might need it the most uh, in, in, the, in the current situation, you know. Can I say so, this to you, though? I'm going to say this to you, boy. What you're doing today is the best thing you could have done, no matter what the circumstances, Barry. I really say that to you, despite celebrations or parties or this, that or the other giveaways, this is simply brilliant and well done to you on doing it. It's a wonderful gesture at this time. How are you doing business-wise? Obviously, I take it you're not open. Are you servicing the haulage people at the minute, yeah? Yeah, well, we're we're open, uh, Jerry. You're probably one of the uh, are you? Yeah, okay. One of the lucky ones uh, to be still open at the moment, and obviously, from a, a haulage point of view, uh, that's my business. Uh, my core business is the hauliers, and this, it's only uh, for their support, Jerry, over the last twenty years that I wouldn't be here on your radio station today uh, promoting them. For it's basically their money that I'm giving out uh, during the month of April because. Um, with their support, uh, I've been able to amass um, that amount of money through luck and business, and uh, mm. I'm really delighted for them. And, and you know, you know, I was listening to Leo Varadkar's uh, address to the nation on that famous Sunday night, and the recognition that he gave the hauliers uh, was absolutely fulfilling. I think for the haulage industry, and certainly for me, that support that they support me so well, and it's because uh, they, they're really hard workers to put in huge amounts of, uh, of of time and effort to their job, 
and it's nice for them to be uh, to be nationally recognised for yes, the job yes. they do. Uh, Absolutely. And know. Cullen Auto Parts keeping the show on the road and the fleet moving. Now, time is going to beat us, and I want to talk to you for a moment about something else. Your lovely mother, Frances, is in Dalgan Nursing Home at the moment. And Dalgan headlines on the RTE News last evening. How is she, and what can you tell <coughs> us about Dalgan? Uh, well, I suppose, uh, Jerry, uh, Dalgan on Sunday, um, I didn't know, know that this was going to come out uh, on the national airways yesterday, but on Sunday we donated 5,000 euros um, to Dalgan Nursing Home. Uh, and the Lord Conroy, the head nurse right there, was, was the lucky recipient of the um, of our shop local voucher, you know. I, I know uh, Dalgan Nursing Home is not a charity and it's very, very close to my heart, you know. And to be honest with you, um, I'm out there 16 months <coughs> And, you know, the, some people pass very, very harsh comments about the girls out there and the nurses and the carers that look after the residents. And it, it's sad that they're hurting as well as everybody else is hurting in relation to the challenge they have that COVID-19 has presented to them. And I think it's important for us all to understand that before we cast, you know, opinions our views on any nursing home in the country, we, we just have to understand the, the challenge that has been presented to them. And in some cases, some nursing home staff either tested positive or staff uh, were uncomfortable working in them conditions. And they may have had 40 or 50 staff at the start of this process and ended up with only 20 staff willing to work. And we have to understand that they're also putting their lives on the line. So this is... I, this is this is coming from the heart, Jerry. You know, I can see you know RTE. I can see cameras outside Dalgan Nursing Home. I've been in Dalgan Nursing Home sixteen months, uh, three four times a week. All my family maybe every day of the week, and they do a phenomenal job out there. And I think it's it's probably a little bit sharp or fast of people to uh, to pass comments about something that maybe they don't realise that you know the other fifteen months of the year that. They are very, 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 very conscious of how they look after the residents and they're just in a pandemic at the moment, you know. And, you know, I just keep my fingers crossed. I pray every day that my mom will pull through this as well as every other uh, resident that's in the home at this moment in time. Barry, brilliant, may I say. Absolutely brilliant. And it goes to show you again, there are so many keyboard warriors on social media who have an opinion about something they know nothing about and they'd be better keeping their opinions to themselves, let me say, today. Uh, well, I can add to that, Jerry. Someone sent me a wee, a wee uh, caption one day, you know, of a teacher in the school, and the teacher started saying 12, 1 to 12, 12, 2 is 24, 12, 3 is 35, 12, 4 is 48, right the whole way up to 12, 12 is 40, is 144. And the kids after the third one kept shouting, sir, 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 uh, sir, sir, sir. And when the teacher stopped, he says, what's wrong, what's wrong? And the children said, 12 trees is 36, it's not 35. And the teacher says, I've done 12 multiplications. I've got 11 right and one wrong. Why do you always highlight the one that's wrong rather than the 11 that's right? Ah, what a story, and it just crystallises the nub of this whole thing. Barry, have to leave it there. 
Thank you for a wonderful gesture on your 20th birthday. Here's to the next 20 to Cullen Auto Parts. And we think of your mum, Francis, and all the residents and the staff in Dalgan who are doing the very, very best at this time. God bless them all. Barry, thank you for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you. Take care, yourself. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That's uh, Barry Cullen there from Cullen Auto Repairs. Yeah, Eamon was just reminding me there, they were very sophisticated, you see, in Dundalk. They used to get the fish boxes and cut them in half. Can you see what we're doing here? And they made marvellous seats. You wouldn't, you know, tip out of them or they wouldn't break off. Clever, clever, I have to say. He's there at last, Noel Rooney. Hello. Jerry, how are you? I'm very good. More from Self is on the line. Rumour has it that you were the number one driver in Midloud. Is that right? I was only nine at the time. I'm a very small man, you know. I'm only just, I was just nine at the time, and uh, what happened was I was going down the hill here, just from the, the houses here in front of us, and it was a, a T junction. And I never looked in the road, Jerry, and I turned into the T junction. And these two women, I, I won't mention their name, but Mrs. Kennedy and Mrs. McMahon. Mrs. McMahon was driving, and didn't, I didn't see them coming, and they ran straight into me. <gasps> And they dragged me under the car and they ripped me legs, me head, and the whole lot. And the next thing was, did I climb out from under it? No, I didn't. I, I climbed out from under the car and one, my right leg was ripped. I got 20 stitches on this. And I got, I got something like eight stitches on the left. But poor Mrs. Mrs. McMahon, Lord of mercy in the woman, she was in no way, stay as her face. But anyway, to cut the long story short, didn't the awful anyway, my father, Frank, anyway, didn't he, 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 he heard what happened and he said, you, you don't be easy, do you know what I mean? What were you doing going down the road? What were you doing with that bogey? And it was given out to me. But it was given out to me with the bogey, you know, wait, I shouldn't have made one, you know? Yes. But, that, but the reason why I made one, because everybody else had won them days. Yeah, and you but wanted anyway, to be part I surprised it, Jerry. You did. I did, and... So we got that now because we we didn't have you clearly. We have you clearly. You called them bogies in Midloud. That's what they were called. Bogies. That's what we called them. Yeah, yeah. bogies. And and you know, bogies. you were clever enough. You left the wheels on the base of the pram really and put your timbers on top, and that was you. That was. They took the top of the pram off, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. And then you put this, the wood on the pram. You know what I mean? Yes. And um, I was used to greyhound days, and I I used to I was spoiled. You see, I was. You know the way I'm. I'm a, I'm a little bit small, Jerry. You know me, you know, the fast, you know. But I was only a little. I was only a little. Uh, what do you call it? Just I was with two, three four at the time. Mm. But everybody loved me. But there were hard worries when I when I went down to the when I went down to the car. You know when I when I was knocked down. Yes. And but you know, in a way, no. Everybody had one. Everybody used to go down the hills here and out here. Yeah. Up and down and fly around and you know it was great going up and down to the shops and getting your mother messages and go down and. Go down and go down and get the things, and I, I never brought the school, but that was the last I had of the bogey anyway, Jerry, because my father <laughs> killed me. You were you were banned after that. You lost your license, Noel. I lost my license, but but the poor the poor Cam McMahon, poor Miss McMahon, she was in the office shop, but she got over it anyway. Lord of mercy, man, you know the great woman, the great women in them days, the old women. Yeah. They all loved each other here in Sleepbury, all the neighbours and everything. You know, they were great, great to get together, you know. All this and them. Well, we used to go up the hills as well, Jerry. You know, up, they had the race down the hills. Yes. There's a big hill here now, up, the, up the, the back road here, and we'd have a race down the hills. That's what we used to do too. 
Weren't they just but, some days? Children wouldn't know about them today. They they buy them they now ready made as go karts. Wouldn't they have played? Yeah. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't really. play with Anne and Bedass. I'm keeping myself isolated, Jerry. Are you? Yeah, I have to. How long yeah. are you in? Ah, well, I'm in since the start, nearly. I'd go for a bit of fresh air and that, but I'm just keeping mm. myself distant because I have a wee bit of asthma, you know? Yeah. Listen, all well, all well, and sure we're doing our best. We're the same as yourselves. We've a skeleton crew in there, and everybody else is out and about, and we're minding ourselves. And that's the proper thing to do, Noel. And please, God, if we all stick to this and stay with it, we will over this with time. But listen, thank you for joining me on the show today and bringing us that wonderful memory about your bogey in RD. Thanks, Noel. Yeah, stay well. Bye bye. That's Morph there, the brilliant Noel in RD with his. So wasn't he lucky under the car? Oh my! How did he survive it? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.